Hi, this is Mary, and welcome to my podcast, Mental State, where I dive into all things mental health and more. So over the last few weeks, we have been talking about different attachment styles, secure, anxious, avoidant, and now we are going to talk about the disorganized attachment style. I think that it's really important to learn about different attachment styles because I think it's really going to help you navigate your relationships. Understanding what style you have, what style you're dealing with from another person is going to be integral in understanding what you need to do to heal whatever's going on inside you in order to reach that place of security. And we've talked about in another podcast, we've talked about secure attachment style, we've talked about avoidant attachment style, and we've talked about anxious attachment style. So if you don't know what those are, we're just going to encourage you to listen to our other podcasts that cover those attachment styles. Now, one attachment style that Jacqueline and I love to talk about all the time is the disorganized attachment style. And I'll let Jacqueline kind of take it from here. Why do I love disorganized <laughs> attachment so much? Because I can identify. And it has nothing to do with how messy your home is. No, I've actually been clients say to me, I'm not a disorganized attacher. I'm, I'm a very organized person. So disorganized attachment is nothing to do with how organized your external home environment is. It does have to do with actually the organization in the brain, right? And when we are in a disorganized state within the brain, we're experiencing states of rigidity. And that actually happens in both the anxious style and the avoidant the brain is in a state of rigidity, right? So the goal is to bring it into flexibility, right? And with disorganized attachment, it's both the anxious and the avoidant within one, right? It's the push-pull dynamic. Come close yet go away. Ooh. Yeah. Ouch. And I love how you were talking about brain rigidity. So Jacqueline and I talk about attachment styles pretty much all the time. And we both have identified with the disorganized attachment style at points, different points in our life. And I love how she brought it about, uh, brought up brain rigidity because I remember a specific relationship that I was in where I was really feeling into my disorganized attachment style. I really loved and cared for the person. And also I felt like when that person became too much for me, I would push them away. So one time he and I were having a very heated discussion and he was trying to get something out of me. And we were having an emotional discussion. We were talking about our relationship. And I wanted so badly to be close to him. And yet he was asking me these questions like, what's going on? What's going on? In my brain, I could literally feel my whole brain and my body freeze out. And so I think that's a really great example of how I was experiencing a disorganized attachment style leading with the avoidant behavior because I literally couldn't form a complete sentence. And his, I didn't, I mean, it, even though he really wasn't doing this, I was feeling like he was kind of coming on very strong. And I was like, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this. And then I experienced a complete and total shutdown that I was unable to form complete sentences. It's a, you know, the most primal state yeah. of the central nervous system when they, when one experiences that distress is in that complete isolation freeze. You could be in a room full of people and mm. feel all alone. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, disorganized attachment, right, as we said, contains both the anxious and the avoidant, yet you tend to lead with one, right? And as Mary, you were speaking about, it's on a scale, right? And you mentioned an example of what disorganized attachment looks like when you lead with that inner avoidant, right? And I could run on the opposite. I have a story around what that looks like when one leads with anxiety. And these, what Mary and I are giving you is, is examples of how it can look when it's more subtle. And we'll get to more extreme responses, but the reason we want to talk about what it looks like when it's just a little less apparent is because, you know, there's this kind of understanding. I know the old school way was to kind of say like, oh, disorganized attachment is really rare. A lot of people don't have it. And Mary and I both believe that it's kind of the most prevalent attachment style currently. Right. And I think what can be confusing about it is that, you know, it is, you can experience both avoidance and anxiousness or anxiety. And so I think when, when, like, I used to think that I was like, oh, no, I'm definitely avoidant. But the more I learned about attachment styles, what I was realizing was that my avoidance was driven by anxiety. I love that, right? Because the avoidant is suppressing Mm -hmm. the anxiety and the anxious is expressing the anxiety. And then alternatively, (laughs) the avoidant is expressing the anxious types inner avoidance, Right. right? Right. And the anxious type is suppressing their inner avoidant, that, that ambivalence. So my style, what it looked like for me, because I lead with the, the anxiety, is I yearn for partnership. I really craved it. It was on my mind constantly. And I'm thinking about, I mean, this happened with a few people. And I'll say just the backstory is like, why do we have insecure attachment? It's because we have a history of trauma, attachment rupture, which it means trauma, whether it's a big T, big trauma, or little T, little trauma, regardless it's from that, right? Yeah, ruptures are real relationships. Yeah, and I did have that. And so I yearned for partnership. I met someone. We got close very quickly. And the minute we got close, I already actually felt like, I don't know, I, I wasn't sure if, how I felt about this person, but I kind of kept going. And along the way, I, I remember I said, I love you really quickly. That person responded back because they were all in. <laughs> I mean, it was probably in the first couple of weeks. Right. And then and then I started to experience all the fears and doubts. I don't know about this. I don't know if I'd like this. I don't know if I'm okay with this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But yet I need to be close to that person. But internally, I was experiencing many doubts and many fears about a lot of things. So that's the other way it can look where it's I want to be close. The anxious, the, the disorganized type that leads with anxiety yearns for the relationship, but experiences that guard dog that we talk about, the spirit animal of the guard dog. And then it's looking out for danger at every turn. So fear is kind of constantly up versus what you spoke about, Mary, is that dismissive style, which can look like just the freeze response and having an internal reaction, being unable to share or shutting down completely, avoiding it, not even aware. The way you're doing. I'm so chopping at the bit right now for something that you said. I love how you said that you said, I love you after two weeks. So that's your therapist. It would be like, red flag, red flag. (laughs) This was a long time ago. Right. And it's also like, you know, what's coming up for you where you're feeling so anxious that you need to say, I love you right away. Right. Instead of checking yourself. And I don't want you to answer that right now because I want to tell you what my experience was. Mm -hmm. And my experience was, I will never say I love you first even though I wanted to right I'm like after a couple of months it's like wow I feel so much love for this person 
but I'm going to hold out, right? I'm going to hold out for that moment. And it's kind of like one of those, like, we're sitting on the edge of the bed and we're gazing into each other's eyes. And I'm like, well, that mother just say I love you so I can say it back. And I just, I never said it first. Were you confident in their feelings towards you? I don't know if I was confident, but I think that in my mind, if they said it first, that would provide me with security. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if I was like, oh, I, I'm not sure. You know, I don't know if I like, necessarily clocked it as confident, but it was like I needed to for them to say it first so that I could feel safe in the relationship. I love you made me pause for a second. I'm going to tell you why, because my initial response wouldn't have been what I'm about to say is you mentioned, oh, I really saw your anxiety in that response. And at first I was going to say, well, I felt really confident mm-hmm. about where the other person stood. The other person was like overflowing with all these actions. I felt really confident with where they stood. And that was actually apparent to me through the, throughout the relationship. However, when you said, oh, it was your anxious type, remember people we've spoken about, not just the guard dog, but Tigger from Winnie the Pooh. Let me, let me, let me. I'm so excited. And while it wasn't a loud voice in that way, it was that of I'm feeling this thing. I'm so in the moment and I'm, you know, enthusiastic about it in that way. That was my inner Tigger, right? And, and in a way, it's immature. And I don't mean that as a judgmental. I mean, I was actually a lot younger and that part of me wasn't that developed inside, right? Like I hadn't learned the more, I hadn't developed great relationship skills because I had some trauma. Right. It's just so like, I'm just curious about that kind of, you know, what that feeling around that need to say, I love you so quickly. Regardless of how you felt like the relationship, like this person was showing this to me. And, and also, again, like if this person is showing all of this, like excitement around the relationship, is that love? Yep. So, you know, what are, what am I, what, what am I seeing that as? So I might be seeing like, oh, they're excited means love. And so this is love. So it's just like, I don't know, this is just all like very interesting conversation for me. Well, the, you know, something you said, Mary, when you were talking about the enthusiasm is you and I were speaking earlier about how you can't, you know, that less extreme that we were talking about, while it can look less extreme, there is this feeling of it being extreme when you're in it, right? Uh So it might Uh not look Uh disorganized, but the emotions Uh are so intense. Uh I called it recently the love womb, right? When you're in it with a disorganized attacher, oh man, it feels like being in the love womb. Like it is so good. Oh my gosh. It's like so juicy and yummy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then when you're out, it's really horrible. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's nuclear. (laughs) It's a different yeah. kind of love bombing. Yeah. 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 It's a kind of un- unconscious love bombing. But speaking of love bombing, that would fall under, right, the umbrella of disorganized attachers, right? And that's kind of more the extreme version. That's someone, right, who is so uncomfortable with the distance, you know, and so they need to do everything to bring you close because they're so excited. And then when they feel that closeness, the distress is so high that that inner avoided kicks in and boom gone goodbye yeah and and just even back to the story that i was telling about earlier where i was so much in my free state and you're talking about okay it might not look extreme but it feels extreme like i literally felt like 
I was just going to collapse within mm. myself. Like to me, it felt so extreme that I don't even know how I kept myself together as a human body because I just felt like, oh my God, I'm either going to explode or, and not explode in terms of like have an explosion, but I just felt like I couldn't contain myself. And I think that's why I went into that, that true collapse where I couldn't, I couldn't even talk. The, remember that the remedy to secure attachment is the ability to tolerate our internal distress as well as our joy. And when I heard you say what you said just now, it was like the body was so incapable in that moment of time of tolerating the distress mm -hmm. And make the distress point is is for the disorganized attacher is both both the closeness and the distance. Both of those are highly distressing, whether we're ambivalent about it or we're anxious about it. You said something. You also used the word explosion, and I love that <laughs> visual because I've got two spirit animals for the disorganized attacher, and the explosion reminds me of the peacock, which uh, is whatever. Yeah, that's the disorganized leading with the anxiety and he's it shows you all its little feathers and then it kind of jerks away and his birth and then closes out right it's like when you want to see the feathers they're like and they're slippery little fuckers yeah you can't quite grab onto them i love that and the other style is you know we have the disorganized leading with the avoidant and that i always imagine as a tiger lying on its back all the claws are out in the air ready for you to pet its belly but remember the tiger's got claws so you might put its belly and have the most amazing experience and that tiger is, yes. Okay. Or the claws come out. It's like attack. Like it's not safe. Oh my It's like, God. I'm not sure which way it's going to go. Is this why I love tigers so much? <laughs> so I literally was <laughs> looking <laughs> at a shirt today that had tigers all over it. And I was like, I wore this shirt. Oh my gosh. I am like so identifying. Do you feel so yes, I feel so seen and I feel like I'm so identifying with that spirit animal, a tiger, that I think I should just go and get that shirt because I think it's going to remind me of a person that I once was. You know, and how much I've grown. Yeah. And what I heard you see in that was also there was compassion, right? Like there was a yeah. real love for that part of yourself. And that is one of the integral obligatory parts around moving to secure attachment is real compassion, which is why I like the visual of a spirit animal, because there's something that's like sweet in there when I'm like, oh, my guard dog or oh, the inner tigger or oh, the peacock. So like, it's there's a softness around it versus being so hard on ourselves. And when we're hard on ourselves, that's reinforcing those neural pathways to say, no, you're not enough or no, your needs will not be met or no, this is not good enough, right? Like, that is just reinforcing old messaging, which will keep you stuck in whatever insecure attachment style you have. Oh, my gosh. And I'm just going back to the example that I gave of being in that moment with an old boyfriend of mine. I was just imagining, like, because this really would work for me a lot in relationships when we would both kind of get quiet. Well, I was already quiet because so I couldn't talk. When the other person <laughs> would get quiet and just like, let's just sit together right? or give me a hug or let's not talk anymore about this. Let's just like be together and hold each other. And I think that's like a really good example of like moving into a more secure attachment because when they, when they do that, my nervous system could start to down regulate because even though I was in a place of like freeze, I could also feel my anxiety at the same time. Yeah. So it's like, it would just, 
whatever it would do for my nervous system, it would put me in a more neutral space where I could just, instead of collapse, I could just be like, hmm, you know, and just like, oh, God, this feels so good just to be held, right? Both figuratively and literally. And for some of us, that might be being held. For others of us, it mm-hmm. might be, oh, you know what? I'm going to take a moment. Yeah, actually, I'm going to allow the space, right? And I really, you know, sometimes I see on social media platforms, right? Like everyone's very frustrated with their insecure attachment style or their partners. And, you know, we all want this goal of secure attachment. And if we come into it with more, not just understanding for the other person, but somebody else who on the other side is willing to do the work, right? None of us are perfect. But the question is, are you willing to do the work? And am I willing to do the work on myself? How can we navigate what that looks like? Even if it's, I don't understand, that's not the way I would respond. It's less right. about that question and understanding someone's style. Like I said, we're all different animals. So, you know, if you're a tiger and I'm a peacock, there's nothing that's going to put you into the body of the peacock, right? So my experience is going to be very different. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's it's not only having that compassion for yourself, like how I was like, oh, looking at that younger version of myself going, she just needed a hug. It's also having compassion for the other person yes. and what they're going through too. Again, even though it may not look extreme to them, whatever they're going through, it might feel extreme as well to them. I think the hard part is when the dismissiveness can be so high that someone might not be aware mm. of how their behavior is affecting someone, right? And that can ring true, not just with dismissive behavior, but also with anxiety. Anxiety can ring so high that, there, that there's a, such an intense impatience that it can put so much stress on another person that, boom, that triggers their own dysregulation. Because remember, the attachment system is linked to the central nervous system. So this is all based on how your nervous system is sensing distress. And what it senses distress over. And, and so then I and I was just gonna say, I was just kind of we we talk a lot before we start we record our podcast. And so I was just telling Jacqueline a story and it just kind of reminded me of, you know, when you when you're more avoidant, it's like that capacity to hold that distress can actually be pretty big. Because an yeah. avoidant isn't gonna say, like, hey, I can't talk about this right now. It's just gonna keep taking what the person who's leading with anxiety is giving them. Can you say a little more about that? So I, so what I'm saying is like there can, because the avoidant wants to literally avoid any kind of conflict. And if someone's coming at me with anxiety, I can just sit here. And even though it's going to feel extremely uncomfortable for me, I am going to be able to create this container that is going to be filled up by their anxiety because feeling that that uncomfortable feeling of me like taking on their anxiety is a better space for me to be in than to say, you know what, this is a lot for me to deal uh, with right now. I can't have a conversation around this right now. And I'm saying like in saying that in a regulated from a regulated place, not from a storming out of the room and slamming the door. I can't have a conversation about this right now. Flam. So I just think that even if I kind of think about myself and when someone's really leading with anxiety, I can sit there and, and just kind of hold it, right? Because I'd rather do that than say to the person, you know, I'm not good with this. So you're saying that that is a good thing or a bad thing? That's Well, it's, a little... 
I don't know if it's good or bad, but it sure doesn't. It does. It feels very uncomfortable. Yeah, because what I saw in what you said was the the type of inner void that might just yeah. sit there and not say anything. Exactly. When the answer is actually drawing a balance. Yes. Right, which is is merely saying, I hear what I hear what you're saying. I hear where you're coming from. I'm so dysregulated. I can't respond to you in a right. It's like I'm so avoidant that I don't even know how to know what drawing a boundary sounds like. Yeah. And I, I and that's why we were talking yeah. about the wall, right, versus the boundary. Avoidance have wall. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like I could like put up this invisible wall, even though the other person's energy is coming through. I see. My wall is, I'm not dealing with you right now, but I'll like, you know, listen have to it come out. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. They, yeah. Just to be a little around the history of disorganization, usually people who have this style grew up in a fair amount of like chaos or trauma, right? That in essence, what was safe, what was supposed to be safe, wasn't really safe, right? So it, it creates the messaging that in essence, and distance was also scary. So the messaging is distance is terrifying and closeness is terrifying. So it's a little stuck between the two. I mean, and usually their caregivers fix how the disorganized attachment. attachment. Yeah. And if you have a display, I was going to say. Yeah. 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 And because, again, there are levels, right? You could have disorganized behaviors mm -hmm. and not necessarily be disorganized. You right. can have avoided behaviors, but identify mainly as an anxious type. Right? And that's how you're kind of looking at defining what what style you are. Sometimes I'll have people come to me and say, oh, I'm really anxious. Like, I'm always, you know, I'm so into a B, person A, B, C, and D. But when person F comes along, as into me. I'm just, like, not into them. Okay, you probably have a disorganized attachment style. But the other side, that ambivalent side, isn't as prevalent until you're dating someone who's more present, right? So that's a good way to start clocking, looking back at your patterns. Do you have, oh, I'm so, the, the people I'm into are never into me. The people are into me, I'm never into. That's disorganized attachment. If you feel confused by people you're dating a lot, chances are you're dating a disorganized attacher because mm -hmm. disorganized attachment is confusing behavior. Right. It's a lot of loosey goosey mixed messages up, down, confused. Right. Yeah. And it can, I feel like it can also be kind of mixed up with, and I'm not saying that they're gaslighting, but it can feel a little bit like gaslighting, even though it may not be gaslighting. And sometimes it is. Yeah. Right. Because under, you know, I, I am of the philosophy that any diagnosis when we're in the throes of an episode, and that includes depression, anxiety, borderline personality disorder, bipolar, whenever we're in the episode of whatever it is, your, your brain is in that state of disorganization, right? It's back to that state of rigidity. And so, your nervous system. As yes. Well. Yes. So sometimes it might equal gaslighting, right? Somebody who identifies as having, as being a narcissist, right, is going to have disorganized attachment, right? They might not be conscious of it or, right, because narcissists oftentimes are conscious of their behavior. That, that depends on your level of awareness and introspection, right? And some of us are. And I think that that's the, the point to take away is sometimes we could say, oh, I feel really anxious, but we're not aware about the part of us that runs ambivalent or like freezes, shuts down, and doesn't really realize that we're doing that to the other mm -hmm. person. And to ourselves, too. You know, I, I can remember a lot of times when I felt so anxious, I would pull away or yeah. I wouldn't answer the phone or I wouldn't answer, you know, someone knocked on my door. I was like, uh -uh, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And then I would just avoid the situation yeah. completely. Yeah. 
or exactly would hide. (laughs) That's a great visual for the avoidant side of us, right? You know, the panic and then the avoiding, Mm -hmm. you know, or eating disordered behavior, substance abuse. When we're using a substance such as that or workaholism, these, these kinds of things, relationships in this way, right? We're using something to cope with things because we're scared in some way of dealing with that head on. So that's going to fall under the umbrella of disorganized attachment. Yeah. Which we said, there's nothing really necessary. We don't call it wrong or right, but we could remember that it comes from a state of trauma. And the way through this is a really important piece of navigating disorganized attachment in order to move to security is accepting both sides of yourself, right? Really owning and having the ability to feel the side of me wants relationships so badly and the side of me that feels very ambivalent about that person right both and situation always yeah right and having the awareness that both of these are existing because what happens is we go oh no i just i'm gonna just push down the side of me that has doubts and i'm just gonna try to go all in or i i am not into any of this i'm ambivalent about everything but the other side that says oh i want that connection is also there So when we learn to integrate both sides to ourselves, it's in essence telling our bodies it's safe to feel confused. It's safe to feel scared of closeness and distance. It's safe to know that I want that. And I also don't. It's kind of fun to, one exercise I like to do is having the avoidant side and the anxious side have a conversation with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think that could be a really good exercise in terms of like really getting to know both your avoidant parts and your anxious parts. And when do they show up in a relationship and what kinds of relationships do they show up in? So I always like to say, try it on, like try on the anxious part of you as if it were an outfit. And what would it have to say, right? Like talking from that place, or maybe you're writing from that place and doing the same thing with that avoidant side. And just noticing along the way as you do that, Is there any part of you that also, while you're doing the exercise, says, I don't want to do this or I don't like this side of me. This feels good and it also feels bad. Really noticing the duality that's existing there. Yeah. And I think also noticing if you are dating or in a relationship with someone, kind of noticing the part of them that shows up that triggers that part of you. So what part of them triggers your avoidance? What part of them triggers your anxiety? And kind of starting to have a relationship with those parts, too. Yeah, the point is, is to enter into healthy relationship, mm-hmm. right? And once we, sh- whether it's with food, with love, with our attachment style, once the relationship gets healthy, we're able to repair the ruptures. Yeah, and these aren't, I mean, I don't think somebody shows up at the door and says, I'm going to be the avoided partner in this situation, right? These are not like conscious choices that people make. These are... It's coming from a nervous system response. Mm -hmm. Remember, it's coming from a place that is detecting distress in some way. And, you know, you and I have spoken before about if you truly want secure attachment, it's allowing an energetic shift within you. So that means... Whenever you're feeling a sense of familiarity, chances are the patterns will repeat. So using those familiarity feelings around, does this, if this feels the same, well, what else is there? Starting to explore it more to see if you can allow for a different feeling. Maybe the feeling doesn't even feel good at first. Maybe it feels bad. Maybe you really don't like it because it's not the love loop, right? That, that's a possibility. Yeah, allowing for a different feeling, not running away from the feeling. 
I mean, I just, again, I, I say this a lot, starting to have relationships to those parts of yourself that are having those feelings so that like, as, as Jacqueline says, it's like, we want to have a more integrative experience. So the more we accept these parts of ourselves, they're not good. They're not bad. They're just there. Right. And they, they, they have a reason to be there. The more we explore those parts of the, ourselves, the more we can start to integrate that work and kind of show up as a different person and a person that, you know, we really accept that. It's like, I accept my avoidant part. My avoidant part shows up every day. And when something happens that quote unquote triggers me and I notice that my nervous system gets dysregulated, I'm like, oh, okay, this is what's happening. My nervous system is getting dysregulated. What does this remind me of? This is what this reminds me of. How do I want to deal with this person? Oh, I just want to push them away. Is there a better way? Is do I want to maybe have a more reparative experience with this person? It really depends. But really starting to come at this work in a, a place of a more regulated nervous system. So once I start to regulate my nervous system, then I can start to have those conversations with myself. And having the awareness about, like Mary and I speak, is the first step, right? Because it's that piece that's, this is such a dry <clears throat> clinical term, but dual awareness. That's when, that's when what you just did, Mary, is have the ability to say, oh, I understand this is what's happening to me right now. And how am I going to respond? What do I need? That's actually building secure attachment within the present moment. It's having the ability to have the awareness of what's happening within ourselves, mirror back that response, and support ourselves in what we need. That is creating secure attachment. And the more you do that, the more you reinforce those neuropathways to tell the system that I, it's safe to be connected to my feelings, to other people, to the experience of living. I can be that, the, the golden retriever. Yeah. So you're really starting to build or you're really starting to earn that secure attachment style. So if you've been tuning in and following us along on our voyage of visiting the different attachment styles, thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time hearing about disorganized attachment styles or you have any questions about anything about attachment styles or mental health, DM me at Mary B Therapy on Instagram or visit me on my website, MaryBTherapy.com.